Well, good morning, Cross Point Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody doing well? <clears throat> good to see you here this morning. So excited about, uh, about just diving into a new series this morning. I hope everyone had a great Christmas holiday. I, I, I know we're probably still celebrating it. In fact, there's probably a lot of people that are still traveling and, and making their way back home this week. I know a lot of people are out uh, today, but, but it's good to see you, and, and I'm so excited about starting a, a new series today. Um, this morning, we're jumping into a new series that we've titled Absolute Sovereignty, and uh, we're going to continue uh, in our series through Romans, uh, or our journey through Romans, as we begin a, a, a chapter in chapter 9. Uh, of Romans is is uh, one of the one of the ones that I think is is probably a little challenging for us, but I'm very excited nonetheless. Uh, before we dive into it this morning, though, I do want to just say this uh, as we as we prepare our hearts for prayer and, and whatnot. You know, we're creeping up on 2016 very quickly. How many of you have noticed that? How many of you are excited about 2016? Anybody <laughs> excited about 2016? You know, it's, it's, always, uh, it's always one of those things when you begin to get close to a new year. Uh, many times you hope it's going to be better than last year, and then maybe some of you want it to be just as good as last year, just depending on your perspective and what you went through. But we are, we are creeping very closely to 2016. I remember growing up as a kid uh, thinking about uh, living my life in the year 2000, back when I was a kid, there was a little cartoon on television called The Jetsons. I know some of you youngsters may not know what I'm talking about, but it was these people who lived in a community, and everybody in that community rode around their community in a little space car, right? And so uh, I remember thinking as a kid, boy, by the time we get to 2016, we'll all have our space cars. And here we are in 2016, still no space cars, but I'm looking forward to that day, aren't you? So uh, you could just push a button and food would just come out of a tube. It was just really space age kind of stuff. But, but the reality is we're moving close to 2016. And, and uh, I, I know for me, and I hope for you as well, that one of the questions that we're asking ourselves is what, how, how will 2016 look different? What will 2016 look like for us? And I think that's a great question to ask ourselves as individuals, but also collectively as a church. You know, what is it that God is going to do in our midst. And, you know, one of the things we celebrated in the first service was uh, another person being baptized. I love baptisms because it's just such a a symbolic expression of new life in Christ Jesus. And so we had uh, a young man who was baptized this morning in the first service. And I was thinking about the reality of, uh, of, you know, 2016, my prayer is is that that we're going to continue to see God just move in mighty ways, that hearts would be awakened, that lives would be changed, that people's lives would be uh, impacted by the presence of Christ in their life, that that we would see salvations, we would see people surrender in obedience to baptism, and we just continue to see God moving in a remarkable way. But I think there's also a lot of practical things that we're going to be able to experience together uh, in 2016. One of the things that we're starting off with the, the first of the year here is uh, we are hosting again Compassion International. Many of you are familiar with Compassion International, a great organization that uh, allows us to sponsor children in, in countries, third world countries, where they don't have the, the privilege to, to have enough to eat or even have the education that we might have here. 
And so we have a remarkable opportunity to do that. We're going to be hosting uh, Compassion International as they come and do what they call a mobile experience. And there's going to be about four semi-trucks that roll into our parking lot that weekend. And for about four days, they're going to be set up out in our parking lot. And there's going to be a lot of people that come and go through the Compassion International experience. And I hope that you too will also uh, register to go or just pop in and go through uh, that because it gives you a first-hand look at what, what life is like in Africa or life is like in South America, different places like that. So it's a wonderful opportunity to get a glimpse, especially if you're supporting a child already or if you're looking to support a child uh, through compassion. It gives you sort of a first-hand experience of what that uh, life for that child is like. And so I'm excited about that weekend, but there's so much more that is planned uh, as we get ready to move into 2016. And over the next couple of weeks and months, we'll be sharing the vision for Crosspoint Church in, in 2016. I'm really looking forward to that. But today we start a new series called Absolute Sovereignty, and I want us to pray and prepare our hearts as we get ready to dive into God's Word. I, I, I believe that, that any time you read... Uh, God's Word, you study it together like we're going to do in just a few moments. God has a, a, a remarkable way of just blessing us beyond measure and uh, speaking into our hearts. And so let's pray and ask God to do that this morning. Pray with me if you will. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, Lord, we do worship you and thank you for your presence here today. And God, we thank you for what it has been to already to, to just be a remarkable time of of worship in spirit and truth as your children have gathered in this room collectively to worship you in spirit and truth. And God, what a pleasure it is to acknowledge you as Lord and Savior and, and, and Father, the, the reality that, God, we, we really can't make it on this earth without you. God, we, we are grateful, we are thankful for everything that you are. We're thankful for your Son, Jesus Christ, who was willing to die on the cross for the atonement of our sins who conquered death and, and sin at the cross, and Father, uh, whose resurrection we celebrate every Easter, God, we are just so thankful for all that you have accomplished for us. Lord, as we prepare our hearts now to dive into your word, I pray, God, that you would speak deeply into our hearts, God, that you would help us to place aside every distraction that stands in our way of, of truly hearing from you. And God, uh, through the reading and the preaching of your word, that we would just find ourselves in a place of just absolute worship. We love you, and we are thankful for you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The book of Romans is, uh, is you know, one of the most foundational books that I think we could study in all of Scripture. I know we've said this in several of the other series that we have gone through as sort of an opening to that, uh, to that sermon series, but, but it truly is one of the most remarkable books of all of Scripture. It's, it's very foundational. In fact, so many heroes of our faith have given testimony over the years of how instrumental Romans has been in their life and how transformative it has been in their life. And so I want to encourage you, if, if you haven't been reading through Romans, if you're looking for that place to go and to study, I want to encourage you to grab some commentaries from some good sources and, and, and a good study Bible maybe, and just begin to study, maybe get in a group where you study together uh, the book of Romans, because truly it is a very foundational 
book of Scripture. It's one that, that God has used in many ways to impact lives uh, of, of a lot of people in this world. But Romans teaches us a lot, especially concerning salvation. It gives us a good foundation that we are saved by God uh, through Christ Jesus alone, that we're not saved by our works. We're not saved because we have earned any sort of favor with God. We are not saved because we have followed the law, but we are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. And we are saved uh, through righteousness and justification. And so what we, we come to know is that, uh, through the reading of Romans is a lot concerning salvation. But we also, as we continue to press through, we, we study issues like what it means to have peace in Christ, what it means to live our life in, in peace and, and, and know that God is there. We, we study issues like sanctification and even glorification in the book of Romans. And so it's a very broad theological study. It's a very broad doctrinal study. Uh, and it's very important for us to study through the book of Romans. You know, as we move to chapter 8, and we just finished that one up, but we, we learned how chapter 8 was a, a doctrinal study or a theological study on, on the Holy Spirit and His role within our lives. And so that in itself is very important. And so I want to encourage you to go and, and read through Romans if you haven't. Read through it, study it, spend time just, just uh, reading and studying God's Word in that way. And I, I'm sure that you'll find yourself blessed beyond measure as you do that. But today as we move into chapter 9, we, we begin to, to realize that, that in chapter 9 and what we're going to see even in chapter 10 and 11 as we get to those chapters, it's going to be a while before we get there, but, but in chapter 9 we, we begin to recognize that this is a little more challenging than maybe some of the rest of it that we've studied so far. Not necessarily the, the text today. The text today is is, is sort of a preview or a preparation or the foundation for what Paul's going to be discussing through the rest of the chapter. But, but what we're going to notice is that this is a bit more challenging than some of the others. In fact, over the years, as, as Bible scholars and theologians have, have studied and wrote commentary on this, what we see is that many times there are those commentarians and those theologians who have actually just gone around Romans 9, 10, and 11. They just sort of bypass it. They, I don't know if they have a fear of just causing conflict or if they, if they just find it uh, challenging and they don't want to deal with, but, but there are many commentarians and, and theologians that have completely avoided Romans chapter 9. And the problem I have with that is that we as, as the church and we as, as, as followers of Christ Jesus we don't have the privilege of picking and choosing what scriptures we want to study and, and, and learn. We, we should, as, as, as children of God, have a desire to study all of God's word and try to understand the truth that is there waiting for us, those gold nuggets that, that are there for us. I, I think it's interesting that two of the reasons that people give for not diving into Romans chapter 9 is this is that one, many times they see it as irrelevant. They don't see it as, as having any relevance in our life. And the reason that they would say that about chapter 9 is because Paul specifically addresses Israel in these next three chapters. In other words, what Paul's going to do in this, in this letter as, as we get to Romans chapter 9, he's going to sort of stop talking to everyone and he's going to begin to specifically address Israel. That is the Jewish nation. 
And so he's going to be writing to a very specific per, uh, people group. And so if we're not Jewish, it would, it would make sense that maybe we could say, well, that's not relevant to us. But, but isn't God's word relevant to all of us? I mean, all of it should be relevant. There should be biblical truths there that as we study through Romans chapter 9, that we see that there are, there are very relevant truths that are very applicable to our own life. And so that doesn't make sense to me. And then the other issue that people often give or cite for not studying Romans chapter 9 is, is this understanding that they have that it is divisive in, in its theological presentation. And so what I would say about that is I don't think God is a God of divisiveness. And this is God's word, isn't it? And so one of the things I hope and pray that as we march through Romans chapter 9 that we're going to find as we study it together is that Romans 9 is both relevant and unifying in its nature. And I believe it is. I believe that as we study God's word together, we grow together, we learn together, we acknowledge God as sovereign. We're going to see that. And, and, and so it's one of these things that we, we begin to really understand that, that, that Paul, though he's writing in Romans 9, 10, and 11 to a very specific people group, that there's a lot of relevance for us to study it as well. And so we're going to dive into it today. We're going to begin this six-hour sermon starting now, okay? And so, uh, boy, I tell you, it, it really could be that long. I tell you, there's a lot here, and we're just going to try to do it justice in the next few minutes that we have here together. But the, the message is titled today, A Burdened Heart for People. A Burdened Heart for People. Even though Paul is addressing Israel specifically, and he begins in this text that we're looking at, in Romans 9, verses 1 through 5, even though he's addressing a very specific people, we begin to realize that there is a burdened heart for people. This is what Paul is really revealing to us as he dives into this letter, as he, as he continues in this text. And we're going we're gonna to see this here uh, in just a moment. Paul suddenly takes an interest though, in Israel. He's not specifically addressed Israel up until now, but here he is going to begin to address this. And I, and I started wondering, well, why is it that Paul felt a need to specifically address Israel anyway? And I began to study this and looking at this, and I begin to understand that, that what Paul is doing here as, he's, as he stops and he pauses and he begins to address Israel is that he is basically... He's basically dealing with what he has come to realize is going to be an opportunity for pushback. Now think about who Paul is. Paul is a man who was once a persecutor of Christianity. He was once a guy who, who was out to destroy Christianity, but he met Christ on that road to Damascus, and, and he was redeemed by the power and the blood of Jesus Christ. He was a man who, who didn't know Jesus, but now he desperately knows Jesus, and he he, he longs to know Jesus more. He is living for Jesus. And he has understood the calling that is on his life is to take the gospel message, that is the truth about who Jesus is, to all the nations, to all the people, to the Jews first, but also to the Gentile. And so the Apostle Paul is very intent and intentional about proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as he's writing this letter... He anticipates that there is going to be some pushback. There's going to be some resistance from the Jewish people. Now, why would he anticipate that? Why is it that the Apostle Paul would believe that, 
that, that some Jewish people are not going to like this message and they're going to push back on this message. Before we dive into Romans 9, I want to take you all the way back to Romans chapter 1, starting with verse 1, and let's read through a little passage and use this as a springboard into our lesson today. In Romans chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, we read these words. This is the beginning of this letter that Paul is writing to the Romans believers there in Rome. He says this, he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, for which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. Now I want to stop there for just a moment. Because <clears throat> what the Apostle Paul is doing, he's basically saying this. He's saying, man, let me tell you who Jesus Christ is. He's all of these things he just mentioned. He also says, I am a man who God has not only saved, but has called me or set me apart to take the gospel message, that is the gospel of Christ, the, the, the saving message, the message of hope to the world. In other words, he, he's called me to take it out there, right? And to, to take that gospel message that other people may come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now look at what he says. He says all of that, and then he says this, that, that I would bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among, wait for it, among all the nations. Now, why would this be a problem for the Jews? The reason is this, is you see, up until Christ had come, up until Christ, our Savior, had been born in a manger, Israel had always understood their role as being God's chosen people. You see, they are the ones that are God's children. They are God's chosen people. And so suddenly what we see is Christ has come on the scene and Christ has proclaimed himself, has set himself apart as the Son of God. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Savior of the world. And what Paul, Paul who was once a, 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 a Jew who was, who was very much intent on, on teaching Jewish law, who has now been saved by the grace of God through Christ Jesus, who now is, is someone who, whom he would consider himself a Christian, is now living for Jesus, and as he is living for Jesus, he has also recognized a calling that God has placed on his life to carry the message of Christ. And Paul would say this to the Jew first, but now he says also in Romans chapter 1, and to all the nations. And you see what Paul knows is right there in that one statement, he lost his Jewish audience. Not the ones who have already given their life to Christ, not the followers of Christ Jesus who, who, are, who, are, who understand who Christ is, but anybody else who might read this letter, any of the Jewish audience who might come to understand 
uh, or, or want to know more about Jesus right there, he's saying, listen, this isn't just for us anymore. This isn't just for Jewish people anymore. This isn't for the nation of Israel anymore. This is for all nations, this message of hope in Christ Jesus. And Paul continues to write his letter, Romans 1, then 2, then 3, then 4, then 5, all the way through 8. And now he gets finished with Romans chapter 8. And what Paul says is, let me address something that I know some of you are thinking about. And he begins this three-chapter study on the nation of Israel. And we're going to be looking at that over the next months to come, or however long it takes us. We may take some breaks from Romans and, and, and do some other things, come back to Romans. But, but over the next three chapters, this is really a, a study on the nation of Israel. And it's very interesting to study indeed. But the reality was this, that the Christian message of Jesus as Messiah was not being well received by, by Jewish people, by the nation of Israel. And Paul's declaration of all the nations went against the grain because they saw themselves as God's chosen people. And one of the things that we're going to notice here in this text today is that that reality was breaking his heart. Think about it. How many of you as believers in Christ Jesus have ever had someone who's very dear to you, someone who is very close to you, that you have shared the gospel with, that you've talked to about the truth of, of who Christ is, and, and you know that Jesus is, is everything that he says he is. You know that Jesus is everything that the word of God says that he is, and you have embraced Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and as you talk to some family member or some neighbor who you love very dearly and you care so much about and they refuse to believe in the message of Christ, how heartbreaking that is for us. Most all of us have got somebody that we know that refuses Christ Jesus and we, in our hearts, long for them to know Jesus the way we know Jesus. Amen? You see, this is what Paul is addressing here and what we're going to see in this passage today as we dive into Romans chapter 9 are several observations that we can learn from Paul. So let's read this together. Romans chapter 9 verse 1 through 5 here. I've got 10 minutes to do the entire sermon so I don't know you're going to be here for a while. I'm kidding. Some of you took that so serious. Um, I'll try to hurry. There's a lot here though. Boy, I tell you. Romans 9, verse 1 through 5. Paul writes these words. He says, I am speaking truth in Christ Jesus. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have a great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. You know, as we read through this passage, we begin to see several observations from the Apostle Paul, several observations we can learn from him. I mean, no doubt he's writing to Israel, but 
But as we read this letter that he is writing, we learn so much about his heart for this great nation. And, and, and as we think about that, we begin to see the application in our life. We begin to see how the word of God, even though it's addressed to a specific people group, is very relevant to who we are as well. One of the first things that we notice here from the Apostle Paul is a need for truth. A need for truth. The Apostle Paul says here, he begins with these very powerful words when he says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. He says, he says I'm not lying. And I think it's interesting that Paul says this. He says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. He, he, he wants the reader to know that what he is presenting here, everything that he is he's approaching with at this moment in this letter is, is truth-centeredness. It's, it's all about the truth as he knows it and truth as he has learned it from, from uh, Jesus. And, and everything that he is bringing to the table is centered around this truth that he has in Christ Jesus. You remember when Jesus said, we're going to look at this a little later, but where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And then here we see the Apostle Paul. He says, he says I am speaking the truth in Christ. He recognizes Jesus as the way and the truth and the life, and the, so everything that he is bringing to the table, everything he is writing in this letter, every passion that he feels, every emotion that he experiences is coming from this truth-centered understanding of what it means to be in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul, he says really two things to us here. He says, listen, I just want to be very honest and sincere. What he's putting on display is his sincerity, his honesty, the, the reality that, that he doesn't want to deceive anyone. He just wants to present the truth to everyone. And so here the Apostle Paul is, is sort of laying the groundwork for everything that is to continue as he continues to write this letter. He says, I am speaking from truth, presenting this sincerity and this honesty. And he just wants to be real. But he is also setting the stage. To basically say this, that everything that we understand should be centered around a, the truth that is found in Christ Jesus. In other words, our hope should be that everything that we teach and preach and, and understand and embrace should be correct doctrine, should be truth-centered understanding, the way Christ would have us to know it. And so here Paul says, listen... I just want to be sincere, I want to be honest, I want to be real, but I want everything that I present to be centered around truth. I love what Randy Alcorn says. He says this about truth. He says, truth is far more than just facts. It's not just something we act upon, it acts upon us. We can't change the truth, but the truth can change us. It sanctifies us, sets us apart from the falsehoods woven into our sin nature. As Christ, the living word, is truth, so his written word is truth. Though heaven and earth will pass away, God's truth never will. And so here he says these very powerful words, Randy Alcorn. He says, we cannot change the truth, but truth can change us. And this is what Paul wants them to understand. He wants the reader to be content with studying the truth and seeking the truth and pursuing 
the truth. So this is where he begins with. You know, I I was looking at this and just thinking about this and, and realizing that Paul is tremendously burdened for people to know truth. And beginning to realize that the greatest message that we could communicate to our community, to our family, our friends who don't know Jesus, the greatest truth that we could communicate is this, is that you can trust the gospel. That you can trust the gospel. And I believe that's what Paul is saying when he says, I'm speaking this truth in Christ Jesus. I am not lying. He wants us to know that this is truth-centered. Now, here's the second thing that we understand. The second thing that we observe. We observe this broken heart for the loss that Paul has. Paul, no doubt, has a very broken heart for the loss. And when I say lost, I'm referring to those who don't yet know Christ Jesus, those who are still unredeemed, those who have not uh, who, who, whose sins have not been forgiven, who, who, Christ, who, who have not been saved by grace through an authentic relationship with Christ. That's what I'm referring to when I speak of the lost. And what the Apostle Paul reveals to us as we look into his life is a, is a broken heart for the lost. One of the things I've come to realize and why this is so important is that we will never reach those who don't know Jesus if we don't have a heart to do so. The Apostle Paul, he says these words in verse verse 2, verse 1 and 2, he says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. And then he says this this in verse 2, he says, that I have great sorrow, and look at this, unceasing anguish in my heart. Now he's speaking specifically for the Israelites. He's writing to them. He's saying, listen, it breaks my heart that so many of you push back against the gospel. It breaks my heart that so many of you don't want to believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. But the reality is this, my friends, as the church today, the reality is this, is that we too should have a broken heart for the lost, that our hearts should be burdened for those who don't know Jesus because we know Jesus is our hope. We know Jesus is our redeemer. We know Jesus is our savior. We know that Jesus Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith, that he is the hope for peace in our life, peace eternal. If we know all of that about who Jesus is, then why would our hearts not be burdened for those who don't know him? And here Paul, no doubt, has a, a burden for the lost as he says, my heart, he says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. It never goes away. It continues on and on. You know what's different about the Apostle Paul than me? Can I just be real transparent with you? And you probably fall in the same category. Is that there are days in my life where I I think, man, we need to reach the lost. And my heart breaks as I start thinking about the lost. But can I be real honest with you? And, And why this is so challenging to me, why this is so convicting to me, is because there are many days where I drive to work and I don't even consider the burden for the lost. I don't consider their plight. I don't consider everything that they are outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. I come to work busy with the things that I need to do today. And I don't even think about the lost. What Paul says, he says, my heart breaks. 
And it doesn't just break. It's an unceasing anguish. It never goes away. And I, I tell you, i just be honest, I'm praying that God would give me that unceasing anguish that every single moment of my life I could think about those who don't need Jesus and be intentional upon, upon taking the message to them, the message of hope, the message of Christ. That's where I want to be in my life. And I'm just being honest with you. I'm not there. I know you probably think as a pastor I should be out there just sharing the gospel with everybody I come in contact with, and I should. But can I say I probably don't? I know I don't. But then you don't either, do you? Paul says his heart aches every time he thinks about the lost. Philippians 2-3 gives us some great insight. And it gives us great insight because we live in such a self-preservation sort of world, don't we? we? We live in a world that really has a worldview that says it's all about me. And that's why we don't really have a burden for the lost. We, we, we live in a world that says every man for himself. We live in a world where we get up in the morning and all we think about is, is what is important for us. Believers included. And the thing that just amazes me about the Apostle Paul is he says, man, he says, I wake up in the morning and my heart aches for those who don't know Jesus. And our worldview that says every man for himself, that is so contrary to what the gospel has to say. Philippians 2.3 says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. I don't do that every day. I'll just be honest with you. I want to do that every day. I want to live my life to where I always place others before myself, but it's not always the case. You know, we must live our lives with a sense of urgency and obedience toward the things that God has called us to do. You know, one of the things that we're going to be looking at as we dive into this series a little more deeply is is absolute sovereignty. The reality that we can't save people, you know, the, the reality is we can't go out there and save anybody that doesn't know Jesus. Salvation is not in our hands. Salvation is in the hands of God. We can be obedient to carrying the message, but it is ultimately up to God to save people. But what we can do is love people enough to where we care enough about taking the message. I love what Billy Graham once said. He says, it is the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It is God's job to judge. And it's my job to love. And so we're called to love. But our love for people is best demonstrated when we carry the most important thing that they could ever hear to them, and that is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. This past week, Christmas Day, we were having a great time with our family and and as you know, I have a little granddaughter. She's 14 months old. I love her to death. I mean, she is just the apple of my eye. She, she means everything to me. I could care less about my daughters. This is, no, I'm kidding. You know, she's just so wonderful. She's just so young and just, just perfect, you know. And, and so anyway, we were opening presents and stuff. And after that, she, she just left her toys. Now, this is what was so incredible to me. She left her little toys and she ran over and she does what I just love to see. She runs up to her granddaddy and she goes like this. I love those little hands. They're, they're only about that big, and they go like this. They're like, hold me, granddad. So I pick her up, which is something I do every chance she gives me, and I pick her up, and I'm holding her, and I kind of cradle her in my arms like that, and for the first time, 
she's ever done this. She, she did this. She lays both hands on my cheeks. And it was so, it was so I mean, it's just, oh, it's just awesome. Can I just tell you? It was like these little hands, you know, one here and one here, and she's just looking into my eyes, and it was like, what in the world? This is a, such a moment in my life, you know, and I'm just, I'm just loving it. She says this to me. She says, oh, ow, ooh, you know, which translates to granddaddy, I love you more than anybody else in the world. <laughs> That's what it meant. And man, I remember in that moment as I was doing that, I remember just looking at her and I thought, dear Lord God, save this child. I pray that one day this little girl will come to know you as Lord and Savior. I tell you, there was something that just uh, about that moment that I said, man, I want her to know you, Jesus. I hope that she knows you, Jesus. I, I'm just, you know, I can't do anything about it, God. It's all in your hands. But, but I mean, here's this child, please let it be that she would know you when she gets to where she can know you. And I just, it's just what I wanted more than anything else in the world. And then it hit me. That really what should be on my heart is that everybody, not just my granddaughter, but everybody should be on my heart in the same way. God knew I'd be preaching on this. That's why he just kind of said, hey, you're supposed to love everybody like that, Dave, you know. I'm like, God, just give me a moment with my granddaughter, okay? You know, it's one of those moments, but it was so beautiful, but yet so enlightening as I thought about the reality that this is the heart that we should have for the lost. This is what Paul means when he says, my heart is in unceasing anguish for the lost. I really don't have any time, but we're going to keep going. Y'all hang in there. Just give me one more minute. The final observation that we have here, that we see here, and this is really, gosh, this, we may have to revisit this next week because this is really good. But what we see here that Paul reveals to us as we see him writing this letter is an attitude of sacrifice to see people get saved. An attitude of sacrifice to see people get saved. You see, here's what's so incredible about what Paul says here in these first few verses to me. It's not that he just says, you know what, my heart aches for him. Paul's message is much deeper than that. It's much more profound than that. Because what Paul says is this, as his heart is breaking for this nation of Israel, as he thinks about his brothers in, 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 in this heritage that he has with this this specific group of people, these people, God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, as he thinks about them, and he says, man, my heart breaks that they, that, that they, don't, that they reject Christ, that they push away from Christ. Paul says this in his letter. He says, if I could give up my salvation that they would know Jesus, I would do it. See how profound that is? Now, Paul can't do that. The reality is God saved Paul. God's got to save the others. Paul can't do anything about the salvation of others. He can long for their salvation. He can, he can hope for their salvation. He can pray for their salvation. He can carry the message of salvation to them, but he can't do anything about their salvation. But the statement that he makes, he says, my heart 
breaks for lost people. And if I could do anything about it, if I, if I could give up my own salvation, do you realize what he's saying? He's saying, man, I would be willing to spend an eternity away from God if it meant everybody else could. We live in a day-to-day where we're not willing to even give up our time. We live in a day, a sad reality that exists in our world today where Christians all over this nation are unwilling to give up their time, their money, their resources, their hobbies, so that others may come to know Jesus. I know for me that's hugely convicting to think about. He says this in verse 3 and 4. He says, For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. That's not something we typically wake up in the morning and think about, is it? God, I'll tell you what, I'll give up my salvation if you'll save everybody else. We just don't go there, do we? What Paul's speaking about is a tremendous need for sacrifice. For the people of God to be so aware of the need to take the gospel message to the people who are in desperate need of it. That we would be willing to do whatever it takes. To do whatever it takes. And so that's my prayer this morning. Boy, I've got another two hours worth to go here, but I'll just cut it off there. We're almost out of time. But let me just kind of close with this. I, I love this. Catherine of Siena, she, she lived her life in the 1300s, so that was before most of us here were born, right? But she said something that is just so powerful to me. It's so simple, but it's so powerful to me to, to consider. She, she says this. She says, be who God meant you to be, and you will set the world on fire. Think about that for just a moment. Be who God meant you to be. And you will set the world on fire. You know, one of the things I think about as we look forward to to 2016, as we look into the future, which is only just a week away, I think. Not very far away. As we look ahead into 2016... What are the things that we're hoping for? What are the things that we're longing for? You know, many of us on New Year's Eve will make New Year's resolutions. On New Year's Eve, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of move into a time where we say, I want this to be different about my life. And that's okay. Make those things. But, but could this year be a little different than maybe what we would add to that list would be I pray that God would use me and use us collectively to reach not only our community for Christ, but the world for Christ. Could we as a church, could we read through this letter that Paul once wrote, and could we pray that that might be the desire of our own hearts? That we're For us, as we move into a new year, that what's important for us is that our hearts will be centered on the truth of who Christ is and who He is within us. That what our pursuit would be would be a pursuit of righteousness and holiness and truth 
and Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And so my, my prayer, my hope, my desire is that as we prepare to make changes in our life, that our change would be, God, use me. God, use me the way you want me to be. God, change me, transform me into who you want me to be that I might could be used to set the world on fire. Let us, as we make New Year's resolutions, pray and ask God to give us a burden for the lost, knowing this reality that if we don't have a heart for the lost, we will never reach the lost. Let us pray that God, you know, we can't just go to work and just manufacture tears for the lost. It has to be something that comes from within. We have to cultivate the burden. And the only way that we can do that is to do two things. One, to consider the plight that people are in outside of Christ Jesus. To know the realities of where people find themselves without Christ. And two, to pray and ask God to give us a burden. Because it's got to begin here. We can't just, you know, if, if, we just, if we just come up to the pastor's office and say, Pastor David, i got such a burden for the law. We can't, we can't manufacture that. It has to come from within. Let us pray and ask God to give us a burden. I want to shed more tears for lost people this year. I want to share more tears for my community. I want to shed more tears from the people that I, I live with and work with and play with. I want to shed more tears for the people that don't know Jesus. I want to shed more tears, not for the sake of just shedding tears, but that God would use those tears to transform me into an instrument in the Redeemer's hands. To take the gospel message to people who need it. Will there be people that reject it? Absolutely. Will there be people that say, I don't need your Jesus? Absolutely. But that shouldn't stop us from caring about them. That shouldn't stop us from loving them. That shouldn't stop us from continuing to, to try to do whatever we can to be an instrument in the Redeemer's hands. And I say an instrument in the Redeemer's hands because, again, to remind us that we're not responsible. We can't save people. But we can be that tool in which God uses to carry the message to them. In just a moment, we're going we're gonna to pray. I'm going to pray. And as I pray, our band's going to come up here and we're going to sing that last song. And I just encourage you this morning. I know we're not all here this morning. I know there's a lot of people out. But I just want to encourage you. I want to invite you. Won't you come to this altar and let's pray together? Won't you come to our pastors that will be standing front, down front and and let's pray together. Won't you come and let's pray and let's, let's as the church, as we get ready to enter into a new year, let us, be, let us pray. Let us pray for two things. Let us pray that God would give us a burden and let us pray that souls will be awakened by his presence. Let us pray that our family members would give their life to Jesus. Let us pray that our coworkers and our neighbors would give their life to Jesus. Maybe for some of us, what we need to pray for is that we would give our life to Jesus. Let us pray that we would be all that God would have us to be 
that we together as a church, as a faith family, would set this world on fire. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, God, for all that you are. Lord, for many of us in this room today, we know we're... God, we know what you mean to us. For many of us in this room today, we know what you have done for us. And yet, God, for many of us in this room, we live our day, day by day by day, without ever intentionally thinking about how we might be used to take the message of hope to people all around us. God, I pray that today we would be the church that says 2016 will be different for us. I pray that we as individuals, God, would pray and say, God, come into our life and change us. Give us a burden for people. Give us the boldness to to preach the gospel. Give Give us the gifts that we need to be used as an instrument in the Redeemer's hand. That, God, what we would see more than anything else in 2016 are lives that are changed by your presence, by your power, by your grace in their life. And God, in the end of it all, by the time we get to this time next year as we celebrate the end of a year, I pray, Father, that we would be able to say, God, you moved in ways we never could have imagined. Let us as the people of God, let us as the children of God, be obedient to prayer. Let us ask God to move in our life like he never has before. We love you, Lord. We praise you. In the name of Jesus, amen.